You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Budweiser Reds Hot Stove League, presented by United Dairy Farmers. The Reds are on the radio. The Hot Stove League is brought to you by the Holy Grail Banks Tavern and Grill, Norcom, your audiovisual information technology solutions provider, Norcom.com, JTM Food Group. Let's create great dishes together. Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and by MSA Design. Design, create, innovate. The Reds Hot Stove League is brought to you by Kelsey Chevrolet, home of lifetime powertrain protection and guaranteed credit approval. From our family to yours for life, visit KelseyChev.com. RNL Carriers, your global transportation provider. Visit RLC.com today. And by United Dairy Farmers, UDF now makes donuts in our new family bakery from our own recipe. The Reds are on the radio. Now the Hot Stove League on the Reds Radio Network. Fox Sports 1360. Welcome into the Reds Hot Stove League. I'm Tommy Thrall. Thanks for listening tonight, and I think we're all eager to talk some baseball. And uh, you've got a chance to do that for the next hour. The phone number is 513-749-1360. Again, 513-749-1360. We'll get to some phone calls a little bit later on in the show. We've got a lot to talk about today. Noe Ramirez, one of the newest additions to the Reds. In fact, he was uh, he came over from the Angels in the trade for Rysel, uh trade uh, he came over from the Angels for Rysel Iglesias in that trade. Uh, we'll talk with him in the second half hour. Right now, we have from MLB.com. He covers the Reds. His name is Mark Sheldon. You are very familiar with him, and Mark is kind enough to join us. Mark, how are things? How are the holidays? Uh, doing Yeah, the holidays were great, Tommy. Happy New Year. And, uh, yeah, all is well in the world except for in Washington, I guess. Hey, glad we're talking some baseball. That is certainly refreshing yeah. to uh, take our minds off of, of what's going on. Of course, that's what sports do on the whole, kind of take our minds off of uh, our, our normal daily troubles. And uh, I, I think that is never more true than it is uh, certainly right now. And um, certainly glad that, uh, that the holidays treated you well. I also want to congratulate you as well on oh. your upcoming nuptials. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm very excited. My fiance Megan and I are thrilled to be uh, getting married, and uh, we've got a really good thing going, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, for what's coming in 2021. I'm very happy for you as well. So uh, sorry to throw that on you. Getting personal here on the uh, Reds Hot Stove, but uh, no, yeah. thanks Thanks so much for joining us. And, and uh, you you just recently wrote a, uh, a piece on Reds.com that I thought – uh, was very interesting. Jim Day and I were talking about it yesterday. Jim, unable to make it today, uh, had had some some uh, car trouble, so he'll be he'll be with us again next week. But uh, so he's unable to make it today. But he and I were were discussing this uh, list that you came up with, part of a series that uh, is going on uh, through teams' websites, and you put together the Reds' all-time single-season team. This, with the Reds having been around for. You know, a few years. I, I would imagine was quite the challenge. How did you go about this? Yeah, it was pretty challenging. And you know, since the the shutdown, really, we've been doing a lot of stuff on the history, and I've I've, I've learned a lot more about the Reds than I thought I already knew uh, going into it. You know, it's a lot of walks, you know, all time position, you know, best of the positions, best seasons, things like that. Uh, and and now here we are with the best all-time single-season team, and, and quite honestly, a lot of it was research. I was looking at uh, a lot of baseball reference and a lot of uh, newspapers and 
things like that, trying to figure out who had the best seasons of the year. Now, not some of the seasons were not necessarily MVP seasons. They weren't necessarily uh, the all-time best, but a lot of them were the best of that, you know, of that position. And it, it definitely uh, challenged me a little bit. And I know I made a, a couple of people have pointed out things that they think I made a mistake about. And that's fair. It's what's what makes this fun is you can debate the uh, debate the merits of each pick. But I, I feel like I got it pretty close. And, and I hopefully uh, other people have enjoyed it. I was dissecting it a little bit earlier uh, today when I was going through the list. Well, I, I'm curious what were what were some of the ones that people thought. Uh, maybe could have gone a different direction. Obviously, first base is one of those positions because you picked a clue there, uh, the 1954 season for Ted Klazuski. Joey Votto has had some great seasons as well. You could certainly make an argument for Votto. Was that one or were there some others? Uh, Votto was one, but the biggest one I kind of heard back from was third base. Uh, I picked Pete Rose's 78 season. You know, I, I kind of went through, I mean, obviously he had an MVP season in 73, uh, but in 78 he had the 44-game hitting streak. He he, uh, he had also had a consecutive game streak going for a while, and, and I just felt like that was a special season. But a lot of people uh, pointed out, and, and I'm not saying incorrectly, it's just a different opinion. Uh, they pointed out that Tony Perez had a superior 1970 season. And, you know, in, in hindsight, I probably could have went that way. And I don't think I would have been wrong in either in either way. So it wasn't like I was, you know, dissing uh, the great doggy. But uh, I just went with Pete in that, in that particular instance. I mean, it's hard to go against a 44-game hit streak, right? I mean, that is, and as you pointed out, uh, that's still the closest to reach DiMaggio's record. So I, I think yeah. that in and of itself, uh, and, and still, it's not like he had a bad year. And the only thing about that season that made it great was the hit streak. It was a good year across the board. 302 average, belted a few homers. Um, so it was a it was a very good Pete Rose season. It was, and it, I, I felt like it encapsulated what kind of brought Pete Rose into the. You know, he's obviously it was his final season on his first stint in Cincinnati, but I kind of felt like that was the season that really made Pete Rose Pete Rose as far as the all-time hits leader eventually, and all the other things that happened in the second stint. Uh, I felt like that kind of encapsulated it a little bit. So I, I felt like because it was special, I kind of went away from the best numbers per se. And I'm certainly Tony Perez at better overall numbers, but I felt like that was the best season for that position in Reds history. Well, was it challenging to go through and really figure out, all right, I, I'm assuming you did kind of uh, a list of guys, all right, maybe the top five at each position, but was it hard to go through and kind of figure out who, who would qualify and, and who might be on the list? It got harder as you got further back in history. One of, the, one of the benefits I had is in doing previous top five lists, like the top five all-time, you know, first base and second baseman, starting pitchers, relievers, et cetera, is I've had access to this information already since going back to April. So I, I've been researching a lot, and I went through it all again and, and, and then looked to make sure I didn't miss anybody and things like that. But, you know, it gets harder when you look, like, back in the 1930s. Somebody pointed out I missed uh, Cy Seymour in 1905, and then certainly I, I went back and looked at it. I, I have a harder time parsing out the numbers in the dead ball era, what, what those actually mean and, and things like that. So I was, I was a little more I, – I have to admit there was probably more bias towards everything in the modern era a more modern era. And uh, so it was tough in some areas like Bucky Walters. And, you know, you had Johnny Vandermeer and you had a few other guys from the 30s and 40s that obviously I never saw play. And I don't even know if my grandparents saw play. <laughs> but, uh, 
I, I, I was really grateful that I could go through all this list and have some fun with it. And I, I, I think that's the, the best part about this is I'm learning, even as, I, as much as you and I cover baseball on a, on a relatively daily basis, is that you can still learn something about the team and about the game. And I, I've done a lot of learning. I think baseball history is the only history that I've ever found interesting. I, it was, uh, I'm, I'm still not, to be fair, I, I'm still about as good if you quiz me on baseball history as I would be uh, any other kind of world history. Uh, but I, I do at least enjoy it and, and enjoy reading about it, and, and I think this article is fantastic. You mentioned Bucky Walters because I think this is fascinating. You look at that 1939 season that he had. Uh, that's the one you, you pointed out for a starting pitcher. Great win-loss record, ERA, 2-2-9, pitched in 39 games, made 36 starts. Um, but when you look at other guys that might be in consideration – I instantly go to Trevor Bauer, and, and, and that's because, well, he won a Cy Young. Well, Bucky's accomplishment, uh, first of all, was over the course of a full season. Not that that was Trevor's fault, but uh, probably the next closest was Jose Rio, and the season that Jose Rio had uh, was spectacular in 93. It was awfully good yep. when he led the National League in strikeouts. Yeah, you look at Tom Browning in 88 with the perfect game and, and his great year. I think he had a 20-win season. But with, with Bucky Walters, he won the pitching triple crown. And only 16 people, I believe, have ever done that. And, and he, was, he was the MVP of that season. There wasn't, I don't believe there was a Cy Young Award mm-hmm. as, of, as of 1939. So I have a feeling Bucky Walters might have been the first Red to win a Cy Young Award if had it existed back then. I, I think uh, there's no yeah. question. I mean, the, the, the Cy Young didn't come around until the 60s. So, yeah, there's no doubt. So I, I felt like that was the way to go. I mean, it, 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 certainly it's an era of Reds history, which I personally, we always hear about the big Red machine and the 1990 team and things like that. But I, I, I and this is no shot at the Reds Hall of Fame or anything like that. I've learned a lot about these guys because of the Reds Hall of Fame, but it's just, I feel like fans don't really know those guys because, you know, much, much of the people that were around there, quite frankly, are dead. And we don't hear much about the, the 30s and the 20s of the, of the Reds. And I, I would love to hear a lot more about those guys because I think it's really interesting. No question. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating piece. You did a great job on it. It's Reds.com is where you can find it um, uh, really all the way down the list. I mean, the whole, the whole list, I think you, you really nailed it. Like you talked about, you could probably make some arguments elsewhere, but it's good to go back and kind of relive the seasons. You picked Johnny Bench's 1970 season, Joe Morgan's 75 year. Hard to argue against Barry Larkin's 96 season that he had when he hit 298 and belted 33 homers. George Foster's 1977 season has him in left field. You put Eric Davis in center. Frank Robinson's 62 season in right. Uh, and then Araldus Chapman, uh, the most modern of all of them. Uh, you had his 2012 season for a reliever, uh, and understandably so, when he had 38 saves and a one and a half ERA. So really fascinating stuff here. I thought you did a did a great job on it. I'm sure it was fun researching. I imagine you going to the library, getting out the microfilm, looking through the magnifier. Is that how <laughs> it went? Was that was that what you were doing there? I, I, I probably could have got a few microfiche together if it was an earlier uh, time, but I, I did use the old uh, old World Wide Web and and uh, the Reds Hall of Fame and, and a few other things that would help me uh, find these stats. And, and certainly I witnessed Chapman myself and that incredible strikeout uh, per nine inning ratio that he had. It was very historic and throwing 104 miles an hour. So, there, yes, there was uh, a lot of history to go over. And uh, stay tuned. There's, we got a lot more of these types of stories coming in the, in the hopper in the coming weeks.
I look forward to them. I think that's one of the uh, great things about the offseason is, is these types of historical pieces that kind of bring back some names that you might not otherwise uh, be readily familiar with. So good stuff there. Mark, I do have uh, some other topics I want to talk to you about, including you just did a piece about uh, the search for a shortstop for the Red Legs for 2021. Let's discuss that, shall we, when we return? How about that? I would love to. Uh, I, I stand by here waiting for you. All right. Stand by with bated breath. Mark Sheldon continues with us as the Reds Hot Stove League rolls on, presented by the Holy Grail Banks Budweiser and UDF. Are you shopping for a Reds fan who's expecting or just had a little one? The Reds Rookies Baby Club includes a diaper clutch, your choice of a muslin blanket, or a Turva sippy cup. Plus, Reds tickets, members-only activities, and so much more. It's the perfect gift for a Reds family welcoming their little rookie. Sign up today at Reds.com slash fan clubs. That's Reds.com slash fan clubs. Continuing now on the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. We'll get to some phone calls a little bit later on, 513-749-1360. Write that number down if you want to chime in a little bit later on in the show. The Reds Hall of Fame and Museum, presented by Dinsmore, is proud to present the Johnny Bench Home Run Collection. Each of the 389 baseballs are autographed and numbered by Johnny and delivered in a deluxe display frame with a photo collage and certificate of ownership. Limited quantities remain. Details are available now at redsmuseum.org. Continuing with Mark Sheldon, you wrote about uh, the Reds' search for uh, a shortstop, and when you look at the options that they have, we saw, uh, we got a glimpse of Jose Garcia last year. Is your impression that he would be a guy that would be a viable option for this year, or do you still think there's some more seasoning left for him? I got the impression from both Nick Crawl and David Bell that they wouldn't mind having him get more seasoning. It just seemed like, just from the way they talked at the end of the season, but to even in December when we last talked to both those guys, uh, at least publicly, that um, that they seemed to think that he might benefit from more time. And it wasn't that because of the, of the way he carried himself. It, it, as you could see, and when you call the games. He, he had a tough time at the plate. I mean, he went from Class A advanced all the way to the major leagues in you know over an off season essentially, and that's a huge adjustment. He's only 22 years old, so I think defensively he can handle the position, but I think offensively, especially on a team that's desperate for offense, they need to find maybe a, a stopgap or a guy for a year or two that can that can provide the offense and play a very well and play very well at shortstop. How do you think that gets done? Do you, do you think the Reds are able to go out and just sign somebody? Do you think that's going to require a trade? Uh, how, how do you see the Reds filling that hole? Well, unfortunately, as we've all been waiting for this slow offseason, uh, I think over 80% of the free agents that are out there are still on sign league-wide, and, and all of the top shortstops minus the uh, the Korean shortstop that went to San Diego have been signed. So I'm, I'm having a hard time really reading the tea leaves, but I, I think if – if one of the big three shortstops can be signed on a, you know, one or two year deal, that might be possible. I just don't know. We don't know how much we haven't gotten a signal yet since the Iglesias trade and the non-tenders of how much more they need to cut if they do at all. Nick Crawl only said it was a re redistributing of resources to do other things, but they haven't done other things yet. So that's what we're waiting to see. And if they have some money to, to make a move, Maybe they look at one of the guys like Marcus Semien, uh, most recently of Oakland, uh, the very familiar D.D. Gregorius or uh, Andrew Simmons, 
And I, I, I kind of look at those guys as the big three everyday shortstop free agents, and I think all three would be a good fit for Cincinnati. It would be interesting to see how Nick Craw goes about that. He might have to get creative to find a way to fill that void. Uh, when you look at the names that are on the list, it's certainly easy to get excited about any of the guys. Marcus Simeon, he's 30 years old. D.D. Gregorius will be 31 next month. But, of course, he's the one that I think is probably the most intriguing. W- wouldn't you say just because – this is where he got his start. He, he grew up in the Red system, made his big league debut as a Red, and, and y- you can't ignore the fact that he was the guy that uh, not just replaced Derek Jeter, but replaced him admirably in New York. Absolutely, and also don't forget that in the previous offseason, the Reds were one of the teams that were trying to bring him back and sign him before he ultimately signed with Philadelphia for one year at $14 million. So uh, they already have gone down this road with him once, since they've had him, you know, in, in the team back in 2012, and he's, uh, you know, went on to Arizona. Then he went to the Yankees and found his power, his left-handed power, and was hitting, uh, you know, about 20-some home runs a season. So I think it's very doable to uh, think that he could fit well at Great American Ballpark. We know he can play good defense. He can hit. So uh, I, I think he could be the best fit as far as familiarity, but I don't think anyone would be mad if Marcus Simeon or Angelton Simmons was patrolling shortstop either. Uh, no, there's no question. There's, there, there are certainly some good options out there. The question is, how do you make it happen? And, and what are the, the financial constraints, not just with the Reds, but across Major League Baseball? Because what other teams are dealing with could have a trickle-down effect here in Cincinnati as well. I mean, this, this is something that is not exclusive. The financial uh, strains that teams are facing. This is not something exclusive to the Reds, and uh, it, it's it's affecting just about every team in Major League Baseball, and we're only going to get a clearer picture of just how much it's affecting these teams over the next month or two. You're absolutely right. We don't know when the season's going to start or spring training per se. We don't know what the what the limits on fans in the seats will be. Uh, so I think that's part of why things have been slow. And, you know, certainly every team in the NL Central has given up uh, players that they would have normally kept because of financial concerns, whether it was the Cardinals and Colton Wong, whether it was the Cubs and uh, Kyle Schwarber and Hugh Darvish. Uh, the Pirates got rid of Josh Bell and the Brewers uh, haven't done anything. They, they let Ryan Braun get away for, as a free agent. So, and uh, I think Corey Knievel. So, Right now, all the teams in the Central seem to be hanging back right now, and, and we'll see if the Reds can be opportunistic, as uh, former president of baseball ops uh, Dick Williams used to say a lot, and maybe get one of these guys on a good deal that could maybe be for a year, and then maybe in 2022 they could take another look at Jose Garcia. And it's really interesting. When you look at the division, I think that, it, that has to be something that's, that's taken into consideration because the division is wide open with the way that – uh, talent is jumping ship <laughs> like it, the NL Central individual boats are sinking. Yeah, the Reds just keep floating right along here, so uh, they seem to be the ones that are treading water the most through this offseason and, and holding on to the talent that they already have. So we'll see how the rest of it plays out. Mark, thanks so much for stopping by and joining us today. Anytime, Tommy. Take care. Always a pleasure to visit with Mark Sheldon of MLB.com. Thanks so much to Mark for uh, joining us on the hot stove today. Still more to talk about. Noe Ramirez joins the show when we return. It's Red's Hot Stove on the Red's Radio Network. Welcome back into the Red's Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. I'm Tommy Thrall. Thanks so much for listening. Mark Sheldon on with the first half hour. We'll get to Noe Ramirez here in just a bit. Sign your son or daughter up for the coolest club 
in all of Reds country. For only $30, your child can become a Reds Heads Kids Club member and get an exclusive backpack, jersey, sunny gray bobblehead, free Reds tickets, and access to members-only activities. Purchase today at reds.com slash kidsclub. Want to welcome in Noe Ramirez. He came over for Rysel Iglesias from the Angels, originally a fourth-round pick of the Red Sox. Noe, thanks so much for being on with us. How were your holidays? Holidays were good, man. Real blessed. Uh, you know, it's probably a little different from uh, what you guys are accustomed to in uh, Cincinnati. It's, it was nice and uh, it was 70 degrees out here. So, uh, so you, different. <laughs> you spend your off seasons in California, correct? I do, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm living in Los Angeles, uh, around Pasadena area. Okay, very nice area up there. A little different without the Rose Bowl there this year, I'm sure, but uh, probably a little quieter yeah. at the same time. What's an off-season like for you? Are you, a, uh, are you a surf guy? What do you like to do? I'm, I'm assuming because most people that live out your way like to get outside and do things. So what, what, what is your activity of choice to soak in the uh, California sunshine? Yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I'm more of a, a city guy. Not really a beach guy. Um, you know, I grew up in, you know, I say about 40 minutes from the beach. So, you know, not really a beach guy. But, no, it's always fun to go out there and you know, have a good time on the beach, soak up the sun for sure. But, uh, no, man, it's, uh, you know, a lot of outdoorsy stuff, I guess. Uh, you know, we have the Sangro Mountains here. Um, you know, I'm a big uh, music guy. So, you know, I like uh, – just discovering you know, new music, especially, you know, reggae, 70s, 60s, 80s, you know, old school reggae. Um, but, no, I, I like all sorts of genres, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's not really a, a beast guy. Just love to hang out, too. Got a lot of buddies and, obviously, you know, family out here. So, yeah. Still living in the same area you, you grew up in, which is nice because, like you said, you're surrounded by people you're familiar with, and, and no doubt that's a good thing. I'm sure it's a little different as a music guy not, not being able to go to shows. Oh yeah, I'm a big uh, live show guy for sure. So it's uh, it's definitely a hurt. It's definitely a hurt for sure. That's a, that's a big off season thing for me. I like going to festivals and uh, you know all that, all that for sure. It's it's different, man. You know, just like it is for all of us for sure. No doubt. Hopefully, we will get back to normal sooner rather than later. No way. Ramirez is our guest. Came over from the Angels and the Rysel Iglesias trade. You've moved and switched teams before. Uh, was it different this time? Now as a little bit more of an established big leaguer. Uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, like, just like you said, I mean, I haven't really moved around much, so, you know, at first it was a bit of a shock, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you find the positive in, in all things, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously Reds have some interest in me and that's all I can ask for, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough enough to, to find a job, uh, you know, in baseball and, you know, once someone has interest in you, it's definitely a plus. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh. It's a, it's a new uh, chapter in my career, and, you know, I'm really excited about it, man, for sure. I, uh, I hear great things about, you know, the clubhouse there in Cincinnati. Uh, talked to a couple guys. Um, you know, talked to, to David uh, Bell. You know, he was one of the first guys, actually the first guy to, to reach out to me and welcome me in. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, was, it was a great start right off the bat. I'm, uh, I'm excited to meet all the guys for sure. I think so often uh... – fans and people around the game that, that aren't necessarily in the clubhouse uh, maybe don't necessarily understand how important that is that aspect of it mm -hmm. is for a player you guys are people just like the rest of us we don't want to go to work with a bunch of people we don't like how refreshing is that when you go to a new team and already before you even have a chance to meet everybody feel welcome 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, something to look forward to for sure. Uh, like I said, this is a big change uh, in my career. You know, getting traded, just moving teams is a, is a pretty big thing. You know, it happens a lot, but it's, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to get used to. Um, so just knowing that, you know, that clubhouse seems to be, you know, really welcoming and, you know, laid back, uh, you know, real diverse. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely some, some good, you know, good feeling heading into to spring training for sure. Pretty early in your minor league career after you were a high draft pick by the Red Sox, as I mentioned, you were a fourth-round selection. Uh, you were moved to the bullpen. I want to say it was your second year. Was that tough? I, I mean, is that a tough pill to swallow? You don't see a lot of guys developed as relievers in the minor league. So was that a, 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 a difficult transition for you from a mental standpoint? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I've, I've been a starter my, my entire life up until that point. So, you know, all I've known is starting. But, um, you know, the Red Sox actually, you know, at first it was, you know, I was a little, a little upset. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I, from there on out, I, I started uh, having a lot of success. And I got used to it pretty quick. I'm, I've always uh, bounced back pretty quick as far as uh, soreness goes. And, uh, you know, it um, – I think that was the right choice uh, for my for my career. Um, you know, especially my my type of style of pitching. Uh, you know, I'm pretty funky. Uh, all you know, it's uh, my arsenal is pretty uh, reliever like. So, um, you know, after after real, just uh, letting that uh, idea of relieving settle in, um, I was you know I was happy about it and. Uh, I'm just I'm glad it happened early in my career where I could uh, just get used to it and develop before I get to the big leagues and you know it worked out pretty well. You were pretty much a closer when you were in the minor leagues after you made that that, that transition. Uh, is that something you aspire to at the big league level? You have one major league save under your belt, but is that something you could see yourself doing more of? Yeah, I mean, you know, I obviously you know I, I want to get into the toughest situations in the game, you know, late in the game. Uh, but you know, again, I I've been I've bounced around you know all around all over the the place you know, when it comes to the bullpen. I mean, I, I've I've opened some games. I've like you said, I've, I've closed one. I've I've came in the eighth, seventh, you know. But yeah, I think deep down inside, everyone you know wants to be that that guy to close out the game and you know and you know bring that W home. But again, it's um, um, whatever helps the team win too, man. I mean, I'm I'm all about the team. I. You know, I, I'll do whatever it takes to, to, you know, help the team win. And whatever that uh, consists of, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but, yeah, of course, you know, every, I think everybody wants to make that last, uh, make that last out, uh, throw that last pitch, strike that last guy out, and have a little, you know, your own little celebration at the end, your own unique one that, uh, you know, people will recognize and, uh, you know, just remember. <laughs> no question. Noe Ramirez, one of the newest Reds, joining us on the Reds Hot Stove League. Noe, you have a fascinating background. Can we uh, get into that? Do you have time to stick around a little bit uh, more after this? Yeah, absolutely. All right, more with Noe Ramirez when we return on the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back into the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. For the safety of our fans, the Reds have made the difficult decision to forego the Reds caravan this year. The entire organization and its affiliates and partners are fully committed to returning this important fan engagement event to the Cincinnati community and cities throughout Reds country 
in January of 2022. So uh, tough to pass that news along, uh, but uh, certainly look forward to getting back on the caravan again uh, next offseason. And uh, hopefully we will uh, be back to normal by that point. Noe Ramirez joining us on the Reds Hot Stove League. Noe, you, you, you mentioned a couple of things uh, during the last segment that stood out to me. I was reading a little bit about uh, your background, um, an article that was written about you a few years ago, and, and you kind of grew up in a tough part of L.A., uh, and kind of a tough part is probably putting it mildly, but in the shadows of Dodger Stadium. Uh, how much of that has molded you into the type of major league pitcher that you are now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was. I mean, I, I obviously get asked this uh, question quite often. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, I, it definitely, you know, helped me grow up, I think, a little a little quicker, um, deal with some adversity a little better. Um, but what I like taking away from, you know, my neighborhood, my community is uh, just the, the person that it molded me uh, into. Uh, you know, it's uh, a little different than uh, – you know, most uh, what most people might have encountered when they're growing up, but I mean, it. Uh, you know, it's the sense of commu- community here. There's a lot of closeness. There's a. Uh, it just feels like a big, you know, family there as well. Um, you know, I've in the past I've talked about. Oh yeah, you know, it's really rough. It uh, or gunshots. You know, it was bad. It was bad. But uh, at the end of the day, man, I just I take, you know, all the pos- I try to just think of the positives that uh, you know, I got from it. Uh, you know, I did need to grow up a little sooner probably, but, uh, you know, it, it helped me. Man. It definitely t- toughened me up, uh, you know, when you know, pitching in front of a huge, you know, crowd of 40,000, that's that's nothing, you know, pretty much now compared to what, uh, you know, what I might have uh, experienced as a kid. But, uh, you, know, you know, in those type of ways, it uh, it helped me. But, you know, it's it's awesome, man. It's, it's nothing but love always from uh, my community. I mean, to this day, you know, people reach out. I try to stay in touch with uh you know, where I grew up in the Ramona Gardens uh, housing projects in, in Boa Heights, East L.A., uh, just a massive, huge love and support coming from there, and uh, it means a lot, man. How much do you put on yourself to be a positive role model? I know when you go home, uh, you see kids that are still playing on the, the same dirt field that you played on, and, and, and kids certainly look up to you. So, so how, much, how important is that to you, to be a positive role model? It's huge, man. Um, you know, when I, I just put myself in, you know, in their shoes when I when I was a kid. You know, if uh, we had a couple players, you know, some some Lakers, uh, some yeah, some LA Lakers come come by, and you know, just I just remember, I just remember being in awe of just these 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 athletes. You know, you didn't really see them as, you know, equals in a way, uh, and that that's a big that's another thing uh, that I like to uh, express to these kids. You know, even though you know, I'm, I'm a big leader, you know, they, they view me as something, you know, just huge, you know, I just see it in their eyes, but I'm just, I'm the same, same dude. I'm the same kid that, that they were, you know, and it's easy, you know, to, to fall into a trap or, oh, no, you know, that's not, that's never gonna, uh, that's never, that's never gonna be for me. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all about just believing, you know, I just tell them just keep believing if they, if they want to be something there, there's resources there, you know, they just got to, look for them they got to show that they really want it and people people care people do care you know when you're in that in that neighborhood it does feel you know like you're we're in the back burner for sure but uh you know that's that's a message i like to tell them every year when uh 
you know, when I have my, my clinic there, unfortunately this year, you know, due to the to COVID reasons, we can't have it this year. It would have been our fifth one this year. Uh, but, you know, that, that's a big message. You know, there's, there's help there. There's always help if, if they need it. And just know that anything's possible pretty much, you know, that just get that message out to them. Very cool stuff. Uh, what was it like for you the first time you pitched in, in Dodger Stadium? Growing up, watching the Dodgers, you could see them when you went outside. You could see the lights of Dodger Stadium. Uh, that mm-hmm. had to be a pretty special moment. Yeah, it definitely was. And, uh, you know, it took me about uh, two visits. Actually, on my third visit to Dodger Stadium, it, uh, that's when I actually got the pitch. Uh, you know, with the Angels, we have a, a few exhibition games where we go and you know, I uh, man, we had I had the whole community from where I grew up come out to these preseason games and uh, just waiting for me to pitch. And you know, it finally happened after you know the third time, and it was during the regular season. Uh, and it was it was crazy, man. I mean, I again I talked about how it's nothing to pitch you know in front of forty thousand nowadays, but for some reason that day, you know, it was it was tough, man. It was different. It was uh, I I just what I really wanted. You know, I had the opportunity. I was close to, to pitching there uh, years prior with, uh, with the Red Sox when uh, they went to visit, uh, you know, Dodger Stadium. But uh, I had got sent down right before that, and I just wanted Vince Scully just to, ah. just to commentate, man. I wanted him to just tell my story. I wanted him to just talk about me. That would have been, you know, a dream come true right there. But, no, I mean, it, you know, just still pitching there, you know, it was still just it was surreal. You know, had family and had family there. Had to have them there the entire series, and you know, it was it was crazy, man. I I think I went one, yeah, I did win one, two, three. Ended up uh, ended up uh, this isn't a call out towards uh, Matt Kemp, but <laughs> struck him out, <laughs> struck him out, you know, and he broke his he cracked, broke his bat in half over his knee, and that just made it so much better, man. I just walked off that mound feeling like a million dollars. Outstanding. That is really, really good stuff. Well, Noe, yeah. thanks so much for the time. Certainly appreciate it. Look forward to getting to know you uh, and, uh, and and meeting you in person. Hopefully we're allowed to do that here at some point in 2021. Yeah. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you this season. All right. Go Reds. Appreciate go, you guys. Go Red Legs. Noe Ramirez, one of the newest Reds, joining us on the Hot Stove League, which we will wrap up next here on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back to the Reds Hot Stove League, presented by the Holy Grail Banks, Budweiser, and UDF. Wrapping things up today. I told you we'd have some time for some phone calls. We don't really have a lot of time. You can still call in, 513-749-1360. Might have time for uh, a call or two. Did you know about the Reds Rookies Baby Club? It's perfect Mm, for fans up to three years old, whether it's a gift or for your little one. The Reds Rookies Club has it all, including a diaper bag, clutch, and your choice between an organic cotton muslin blanket or Tervis sippy cup, plus members-only activities, tickets, and more. For additional information, visit reds.com slash fan clubs. A big thanks to Noe Ramirez for coming on with us. Of course, he came over in the uh, trade that sent Rysel Iglesias to the Angels, Mark Sheldon talking uh, Reds baseball with us, including his really, really good list. If you haven't looked at it uh, on Reds.com, pretty interesting. Uh, it certainly is, can can open the door for some discussions. Is Reds all-time single-season team? Uh, it was really fun to read over that, uh, revisit some of the great individual seasons throughout Reds history, and then talk some shortstops as well. That's going to be the, uh, the the focus, I'm sure 
over this offseason. What are the Reds going to do at shortstop? And, and right now, when you look at it, uh, I, I think, and Mark talked about it, Jose Garcia certainly has a very, very bright future. Uh, but but I just I don't think he's the guy that you will see on an everyday basis at shortstop for the Reds uh, in 2021. Also, an encouraging article, Evan Drellich of The Athletic, outlining why he thinks, in his opinion, the season will get started on time. Uh, didn't get a chance to get into that. Well, hopefully we'll know a little bit more about that by next week's show when Jim Day will hopefully have a fully functional automobile and will be able to join us on the show next week. Big thanks once again to Mark Sheldon, Noe Ramirez, the broadcast sheriff Dave Keaton. This is Tommy Thrall saying thanks for listening. This has been the Reds Hot Stove League on the Reds Radio Network. We'll talk to you again next week. Good night.